Full send. Do you remember that time that NC State beat North Carolina for the third consecutive year and did so by blowing out a preseason ACC championship team with a preseason Heisman favorite in some people's eyes? Do you guys remember when that happened? You're going to have to narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to this edition of the Lotcast, where we are still riding high on NC State's big win over North Carolina last weekend to get to 9-3 on the 2023 season. When we were sitting here after the Duke game, I don't think any of us thought we'd be saying the words 9-3 to talk about this NC State football team, But, but here we are. And Trey, Alec, Joel, and Assad are with you. We're going to talk about it here on this week's edition of the Lotcast. So, guys, let's just get right into it. I mean, let's go. Uh, Alec was there. I was there. We we were at the game, uh, and so we were in the stadium watching the beatdown take place. I know Assad and Joel were watching from afar, but kind of give us your thoughts. It, it looked like it was one of the easiest wins of the year for NC State, for all intents and purposes. Carolina wanted no part of that game. You know, yeah. I think, yeah. no, you know, in a lot of these episodes after a game, we can go through the X's and O's and go through the statistics. And uh, this one's just based on vibes. And it's all just like, just, it was just all good vibes the whole night. It, you know, even when we had nearly doubled their score, there's always that feeling in the back of your head like, okay, they still have Drake May. They can still make a comeback here. And it's never over until it's over but uh they they just didn't even get off the bus which was just it was mm-hmm. just a, a, amazing to see that is that, that's that was the most surprising part of the game to me is i thought you would get a good effort from them because of what happened last year and we heard about i think someone said something about the picture in the locker room was a thing and we mm-hmm. heard uh, was it came in rucker talking about uh, taking a load in the living room I don't whatever that's what he said you know what he meant well like, I thought you might get some 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 energy from them and he didn't really until the second the late in the second quarter um yeah they they looked like it was great yeah I mean it was, it was everything about it was was awesome um you know I'm just so impressed with one Armstrong but but also Robert and I as someone that that's I've liked more every game this year uh, as the season's gone on. And, you know, we talked about how the offense has changed so much, you know, once Armstrong got back in the fold and once we became a really a run first team, you know, with a lot of these read run concepts um, as kind of the base offense. And you couldn't even, you couldn't run those on, on Saturday night because you were playing a quarterback that had, that was down a rib. So they basically redesigned it again. And it was crazy. I mean, he threw for what, 334 yards in that game? Yeah. Um, so just to put, to make it funny, I had a, I was talking to uh, Alec and I were at a family tailgate before the game, and I was talking to one of my uncles, and I said that I was going to set the over-under for pass yards in the game at 160. We beat that in the <laughs> second quarter. Yeah, they threw the ball over the field. <laughs> it was one of the it was one of the easiest uh, wins I've seen in a long time. Probably the best win I've ever seen in NC State football. To me, it was. They it was just total domination. The, the offensive line has gotten better every week. They blocked really well. You know, I was watching the offensive line, and they were just, you know, Carolina just couldn't didn't have an answer for it. They couldn't stop us. And, you know, Casey and Brennan and, and our defense just, just shut Drake May down. It's, it's for the second year in a row they just did it. It's, it's shut him down. I mean, 
They did. They didn't have an answer for it. He was bad too. He, yeah, he, he was bad. Well all yeah. So that yeah. was fun. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago when we had Alex G from IPS on? He was talking about how Brennan Armstrong was the UNC killer. Yeah. 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 So yeah. He was right. So shout out to Alex G. But, yeah, you know, um, th that's a, a, a really low-key ACC old-school rivalry. The Virginia-Carolina rivalry goes back a long ways. It's, you know, it's analogous to NC State and Wake Forest. and They have been playing for a long, long time. So um, for from his perspective, he has always viewed Carolina as a rivalry coming from Virginia. I thought, you know... Obviously, it was his best game in an NC State uniform. And to do so, not having thrown in practice at all this week, you heard Alec mention there the, the creativity of Dr. Bob to, uh, to, get, uh, to get that taken care of offensively. What does that say about the toughness of, of Brennan Armstrong to not throw in practice at all and then come out and have a season-high passing yardage total? Yeah, I, I think it, I had this thought during the game, like – it was pretty obvious that that hit that we saw him take at the end of the, uh, of the last game, it was noticeable how hard he gotten hit and he had gotten hit throughout that game. And uh, so we kind of knew that something was off from him. And Dave, you know, does the normal coach thing of sort of bearing the lead with not wanting the other team to know just, to, you know, uh, what the truth behind their injury report is. But during the game, I had the feeling that, you know, not that you would ever want a player to be hurt, but it was almost to the passing game's benefit that he didn't have his escape route in his back pocket. So he was almost forced to stay there in, you know, in the in the pocket, let the plays develop. And he just sat there and just, like, and just picked apart their team. And that's the passing ability of Brandon Armstrong that we've been waiting for. Like that that's the version of Brandon Armstrong that, that was throwing for 400 yards a game two years ago. Yeah, they basically rewrote the offense, like you said, from, I mean, there's a lot more RPO in this game, uh, you know, which was noticeable. It was very noticeably different play calling, uh, which, you know, that's, that was kind of the one thing, you know, when, when we saw the state beat Wake Forest and they ran all over them and, you know, Brennan threw two passes in that game that were more than 10 yards down the field. That was kind of the question mark was like, you know, if state got behind in a game or if state needed to throw the ball, they needed to drop back and throw the ball, you know, could, could they put something together there? And uh, they did. I mean, they needed to because you know, your, your run elements really dry up right there. And, and yeah, that, that to me was the most impressive part of the game was how seamlessly we transitioned, you know, the, the, the concepts in the offense. He made some really good throws. I mean, yeah. the one to Dakari Collins in the end zone there. And mm -hmm. the, I mean, he just made some really, really good throws. And he, yeah. he made good decisions all night long. Yeah, I want, I want to give a shout-out to Gene Chizik for that throw <laughs> to Kari Collins. Uh, I don't know why you're, why you're playing – why you're bringing a zero blitz, a completely undisguised zero blitz on third and nine. Uh, but, if, I mean, that's the same thing they did in the Duke game when they almost lost their – Yeah. Yeah, that guy sucks, and I love it, and I hope he sticks around forever. Yeah. It's so bad. And I just want to point out that, that A, that was Brendan's best throw of the entire season to Dakari. I mean, that was just a an absolutely beautiful throw. And it happened right in front of me because I was down in the end zone, in the end zone where he caught it, maybe 30 yards from, from it. Uh, 
up in the stands. I had really good seats. So, um, you know, I looked at it and I said to the guy sitting next to me, he's like, that was the best throw Brennan's made all year. But how about Dakari Collins? Uh, he's yeah. kind of come to his own a little bit in the offense as well. And, you know, obviously I think he's a guy that could really contribute 2024 also. Yeah, he's a guy that gives you a size mismatch. And that's why that ball was thrown where it was because, you know, there was man coverage across the board. So, you know, pick your best matchup. And, you know, he's a guy who has the size, and I think you want to see him create that mismatch, you know, where he can catch the ball over defenders, he can high point defenders, he can box out defenders and things like that. Um, so that's good to see. Uh, you know, I see some some people contributed in this game in the passing game that hadn't contributed much this year. Keon Lassane had a great game. Yeah, he did. Keon Lassane. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. He was awesome. Yeah, and and while he's no longer at NC State, Porter Rooks had a big catch also uh, mm-hmm. in that game as well. So I Rosner as well. Rosner, yeah, that, that one toe tap catch was fantastic for for Bradley Rosner there on the uh, on the sideline. Um, but yeah, and and you know, just to put it into a into a perspective of somebody who was in attendance at the game. Uh, Alec and I actually disagreed on this afterwards. I thought the one thing that I would would maybe constructively criticize NC State was I still thought they got too conservative in the second half. Alec Mm -hmm. disagreed with me on that, so I'm curious on Joel and Asad's take on that. I was thinking about that today, and I thought maybe a little bit too conservative, but not not as bad as I thought it would be because a lot of times Dave wants to pull back and be conservative and we just try to finish the game. But I thought they, I thought they were still pretty aggressive in the second half. I mean, I I didn't think it was, I didn't think they were too conservative with it. I think they kind of kept their foot on the gas a little bit. I mean, they still scored 13 points in the third quarter. You know, they didn't score, didn't score anything in in the fourth quarter. Um, But, you know, I, I was really hoping that they would have taken the points on that last extra point. You know, I understand strategically the analytics will say go for two there, so you'll be up like officially by three touchdowns. But uh, I would have rather to see the score be a forty than a thirty-nine. But uh, yeah. I, I think that once once he got up, you know, by nearly twenty points, the fourth quarter was almost kind of cruise control at that point. That they, they were they were just kind of milking the clock, but doing it very successfully, and it wasn't. Like they just needed to overly rely on the defense to to close the games out, um, and uh, it was it was it was a good complimentary game between the two. And very much, yeah, all, yeah. All, all throughout the game, it's the kind of thing that I've mentioned a few times in the last few weeks of allowing the offense to just get into a rhythm. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And this is the one time where it was just like offenses complimentary between the pass game and the run game and then handing it off to the defense and then they're getting quick stops and then handing it back over and you, you could just feel a flow to the game and we've waited you know 11 weeks for this to happen yeah, there's not really there's not really anything that they didn't do well um which is you know that that's 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 definitely been a new, a new thing here i think that you could nitpick a lot of things even going back the four game win streak before um you know, I think all all dimensions of the game played really, really well. The only thing they struggled with was UNC's tempo. And that's part of what played into to what I was saying about, you know, my complaints with the way states handle leads this year has been, in the back half of the year, has been more the way that the defense has been coached through, you know, having a two to three score lead is you, you we've seen this, this deep, 
cover three structure that state doesn't typically play uh, that they've gone to. They went to it in Clemson and they let them walk straight down the field and score. And they did it against Virginia Tech too. And they basically let them back in the game. So for anybody who doesn't know, cover three is usually a one high safety look with your corners dropping into their thirds of the field, their deep thirds of the field. So what state's been doing is, 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 really accelerating that drop and playing really a three high look, which is pretty basically prevent defense. And it let those two teams back into the game. They didn't do that when they got up on UNC, they kept blitzing, they kept bringing pressure. Eventually they started to play soft because they were completely gassed because they did not handle the tempo very well. They weren't really prepared for that. If you remember UNC had like nine yards of offense until they got their first, first down of like the game, I think. And then they went super mega tempo and they were able to go to the field and score because they didn't adjust well to that. Mm. Uh, but but I never saw them really squat down and just just let them, you know, pick apart a deep zone until like the last two or three minutes of the game when it was truly over, mm-hmm. which is fine at that point. Uh, you know, I thought they, they stayed aggressive enough. So uh, I, I, I thought the game was very, very well coached. Um, I had no issue. I, there's basically nothing to complain about. I mean, it was so awesome. Uh, all the way down. It's, it's I, I mean, I just love. And at the end of the day, you know, no matter how it happens, you know, you beat UNC. It's it's fun because yeah, they're they're the worst. And, and how about how about the crowd on Saturday night? It's a 19 point game with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and nobody in red had left. No. That place full to the very end, except for the UNC section. They left like at the first play of the game, but. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the the state section was completely full for the entire game, and I loved every second of that. How was their energy inside the stadium? I, I thought it wasn't as loud as I thought it was going to be, but they were definitely into it, definitely very energized. The student section was really into the game, and that was really good to see. Um, you know, and I was down low right on the NC State sideline, and uh, you know, we had players interacting with us. We had the power sound of the South interacting with us. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty good vibe down there um, on the NC State sideline, which actually leads into an interesting point. I looked over when State went up. I think it was twenty to nothing when they went up in the game, and uh, I looked over to the two sidelines, and you could just see the dejection on the UNC sideline, and over on the State <laughs> sideline, there's. People smiling and high fiving. Well, well, they they won eight games, and I I struggled to to tell what was their best win. You know, like they played South Carolina, App State, a not Honestly, good Minnesota. Minnesota and Minnesota went five and seven. Yeah, so Pitt was at the bottom. Syracuse is at the bottom. I mean, they lost to Virginia. I mean, maybe their best win was against Miami. And Miami, their best that, win. They were ranked at the time, but they should then. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, yes. it's certainly interesting, and I think, uh, you know, we mentioned NC State has a outside shot at the Orange Bowl. Things need to happen, of course. Uh, we need Florida State to basically do to Louisville what Georgia did to TCU last year, uh, in order for <laughs> us to uh, to get into the Orange Bowl, in my opinion. Um, but people also need to make sure that it's known that Notre Dame could take one of the ACC slots as well. So we may even be dropped down another peg. Uh, in the bowl slot because so, they're so, ahead of us. So Obvious and Julio did cover this uh, on their show today, and they pointed out that 
um, for the non-Orange Bowl bowls, Notre Dame can take an ACC's uh, slot. But for the Orange Bowl, it is uh, the top-ranked non-playoff ACC team. So if FSU makes the playoff, you know, if they don't make the playoff, then they're taking the Orange Bowl, and that's that's a wrap. But um, if State jumps five spots and, you know, <laughs> takes over Louisville, which is a stretch, even if Louisville gets destroyed in the championship game, they will still be a 10-win team and State will still be a 9-win team. It'll be it'll be hard-pressed to, to see a flip there, but yeah. somebody on the committee might make the case that based on the way State's playing right now, that it supersedes the head-to-head loss that they had earlier, and, and they might flip them. In that scenario, then then yeah, State would get it. But, well, it's uh, going to be a rather short trip for State fans to go to a bowl this year because you're either going to be in Miami, Jacksonville, or Orlando likely your landing spot so you're probably ending up somewhere in florida for the bowl game or tampa tampa is the other one for the relia quest bowl um yeah so it's it's more likely that notre dame would take the gator bowl slot so then it would come down to either the relia quest bowl in tampa or the pop torts bowl in orlando and i'm i'm kind of i have a giant pop tart i have a bowl of relia quests on my table right now (laughs) What is the It used to be well, the Outback Bowl. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. That's a good bowl game. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, yeah. Parks as much as the next guy, but I feel like a prestigious bowl game needs a different sponsor than that. I so Reliquest is like one step below the Orange Bowl right. tier. Like, tier wise. Citrus Bowl name. That was the perfect name. Citrus Bowl or Tangerine Bowl or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect name for it. Yeah, but. But that, that, that leads into kind of an interesting point uh, that we discussed earlier this week, not on a podcast, but that is, you know, if NC State got into the Orange Bowl somehow, you know, New Year's Six is a great, is a great achievement. So if they played a team like Alabama and Ohio State in the Orange Bowl and lose 30-7, to you still had a phenomenal season. Yeah, you want to win the bowl game. But if you don't go to a New Year's Six Bowl, the 10 wins is a very real possibility, more than it would be if you played in Alabama or in Ohio State in the Orange Bowl. So, you know, we had we probably should have won 10 games two years ago and then UCLA happened. But who is the team that you most want to face in one of those bowl games maybe that looks the most likely to get a 10 win? My choice is a depleted Kansas State team right now. They're down yeah. two quarterbacks. They're down a running back. And I've seen them projected to face us in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I'd be all for that. Yeah, that'd be a good one because they're still a notable uh, brand. So it would feel like a significant win, even though, you know, they are down all the players that you're saying. I mean, they, they just won the Big 12 last year, right? Um, so, you know, they're one year removed from a Big 12 championship. And, you know, they are a nine-win team. Um, I think they have nine wins. So, you know, there is still a solid program. Um, yeah, that's that, that'd be my, my choice for sure. And I'd feel, be... a lot better, I'd feel a lot better playing Kansas State than I would Ohio State, just to be honest. <laughs> yeah, Kansas State would be my choice too. I'm going to say something insane. I... <laughs> I don't think Alabama would blow out NC State. Really? Did you see the Iron Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Oh man! Fourth, yeah. <laughs> Fourth and goal from the thirty-one. 
I think Alabama's offensive line, and I realize it's improved over the course of the year, but so so the, the overall number is a little bit misleading. But it's I think it's still last in the country in sack rate and pass protection. Hmm. Um, it's you know Alabama has Alabama talent. I actually think Jalen Milrose is a freakishly good quarterback. He's one of my favorite players in the country. Yeah, really good. underrated. Um, it's that's a team that has flaws still though. Ohio State, for some reason, I wouldn't feel as good about having a chance. Now, I think Alabama would still beat NC State, mm-hmm. but I don't think it would be like thirty to seven. I, I think that game might end up. So I want that one. That's what I want. I want to what, play Alabama. What would be the bowl where there would be an ACC SEC matchup though? The uh, I think it's the um the Orange Gator, Bowl, the Gator Bowl. Well, the Orange Bowl is still ACC SEC, right? Yeah. If we don't go to the Orange and we end up with ACC SEC, I think it's the Gator Bowl. And we'd probably get a rematch with A&M. So it could be the Gator Bowl, but I would think the Gator would choose a higher-ranked Notre Dame team over NC State based on the brand. If if they're ranked above, say, the Notre Dame. Yeah, but I'm I'm just thinking about, you know, the state of the SEC. You'll have probably have three SEC teams in a New Year's Six Bowl. So Mm -hmm. Ole Miss will get the first choice not for a New Year's Six. So that's probably the Gator Bowl, which would then – yeah, Notre Dame, because I would say, if not, it's Texas A&M. Notre Dame and Texas A&M open the season against each other next year, so would they want to play two games in a row against each other? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so, I don't know. I guess the Pop-Tarts Bowl is having their selection committee meeting tomorrow, so we'll see what comes of that, but I think we'll find out next week on that, obviously, as as NC State. Uh, we, we have our fingers crossed for the Orange Bowl uh, but I think when the college football playoff rankings came out this week, it, it made the road a lot harder because Louisville, I thought, was still pretty high having lost to a six-win Kentucky team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I would be shocked if if Louisville ends up behind us, no matter if they lose seventy to seven. Yeah. Um. The, I mean, I don't think I don't don't know if the committee even really cares about anything that happens down there, but like. They just, I mean, they just made it clear like two days ago that head to head is head to head. And Louisville's, if Louisville loses eighty to two, right, they're still a ten and three team that beat us on our home field. So mm-hmm. it's probably the right thing to have happen. Um, but it, you know, it would still be nice if they got screwed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah, with yeah, that so let's, schedule let's, they had. Yeah, let's talk one last little bit here about about the UNC game. One thing I wanted to mention, I had mentioned it to Alec before the game, that I thought one of the two play, following two players was going to be shut down, and that was Amarian Hampton or Tez Walker. Spoiler alert, it was both players. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what did State, we, we talked about what they did defensively, what they did well in that game. Marion Hampton only ran the ball nine times for 28 yards. He had the one big run. And then other than that, he did nothing the rest of the game. Tez Walker had the touchdown that wasn't actually a touchdown, but he had the touchdown. And then he had, what I think it was like two catches for 29 yards. So, you know, what did State do well with those two specifically to keep them out of the game? They... Aiden White. Yeah, yeah. Aiden White. White. Yeah. Tez, Tez Walker, he just shut him down. You know, that's that's really what happened. Yeah, he, uh, and, he, he was in his hip pocket the entire game, and it was it was really really cool to see. And it really, from the Hampton perspective, it really just seemed like they they just gave up on the run game, and they weren't even really trying at a certain point. Uh, the run concepts they were doing weren't very complicated. They weren't making it, uh, you know, and 
extra effort to get him the ball, to get him touches, which is surprising considering he going in was the NCAA leader in rushing yards that why wouldn't you be trying to do? But I think that they just had too much respect for the run defense for NC State, and they were just going to try to let Drake May pull them out of it. Yeah, they also, I mean, State also jumped on him so early. They were behind 20 points before they blinked. Um, so, you know, Hampton having nine carries partially, that's a component of that is you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole um, and State scoring on every possession. So, you know, you, you, you can't – I think he had one successful run based on, based on how you measure that metric. Yeah, he was – I mean, he was shut down and then they bailed on it because they were behind by so much, which is as good as it could have been, you know. Yeah, so that leads kind of into the next part of our of our episode here, and that is that the, the ACC, uh, most of the ACC awards came out. I have one that I want to bring up, but I want to get through the NC State ones first here. Uh, Peyton Wilson is your ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Probably the least shocking news ever. Surprise, but surprise. well-deserved award for Peyton Wilson, uh, who played one of the best games of his career against UNC. 15 tackles. Eight solo, a sack, a pick, and a forced fumble on Saturday against <laughs> Chapel Hill. So a really, really good performance for him. Uh, so a well-deserved ACC Defensive Player of the Year. He came six votes short of the ACC Player of the Year, finishing second to Jordan Travis in that category, which it's very rare mm-hmm. for a linebacker to even be in the conversation for player of the year, right? Because typically they go to a skill position player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was in that conversation. He's first team all ACC as well. Now he's also nominated for the Bednarik Award. So there's three awards that he's up for also. <laughs> the Bednarik, the Butkus, and the Nagurski. Kevin Concepcion uh, is your offensive rookie of the year and your general offensive or general rookie of the year in the ACC. Another well-deserved there. Um, I believe he's second team all ACC. And then curiously, we're trying to figure out how this happened, but Aiden <laughs> White, third team all ACC. <laughs> what? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he's just a great, he's just a great lockdown corner. He just, and he has been, he was last year too. So I don't understand that at all. Yeah. I, I think, I think he, he completed two straight seasons without allowing a touchdown. I think that that's his, his, Calling card, uh, he was one vote shy of making second team. Um, and he was by far the highest vote getter on the third team. Um, you know, I, I think that there just wasn't enough publicity about him. He was just, you know, quietly going about being one of the best corners in college football who will certainly have his chance to play at the next level. It, it was just a, a difference in uh vocalizing how good he was compared to you know every week it was just everybody you talked to local level national level everybody was just talking about Peyton Wilson um so from the preseason all the way through it everybody knew his name and you know maybe it's a learning experience with state to do a better job with, with getting those other guys names out there and those are the only two I had an issue with was white and Wilson. So Jordan Travis won ACC Player of the Year because he's a quarterback, which is not Jordan Travis's fault. He's an excellent player, deserving of awards, but um, he won it, you know, because he's a quarterback. And if you took, if you could like apply an objective quality score to a player 
and you did that for Peyton Wilson, Jordan Travis, and then you just switched their positions. <laughs> uh, there's absolutely no question that Peyton Wilson, you know, well, I mean, unanimous player of the year. If you had a quarterback that was as good as Peyton Wilson. So, I mean, that's what it is. And then, yeah, Aiden White, you know, it's stats versus non-stats, right? I mean, there's not really a stat for uh, – there's no – you don't you don't put up numbers if no one throws the ball your way. Hmm. Aiden White is, is so good at – you know, he's a great cover corner. He is very hard to get open against in, in, in any way. You know, he um, – he, he's – guys like that make, make the defense work, you know, on the back end because you can't play cover one. You can't blitz. You can't man cover. And he can man cover – probably anybody so you know he he's been put in a lot of those situations this year because of the aggressiveness of the defense and uh yeah i know i know those, those were a little bit weird to me um i understand that the quarterback is going to win acc player of the year but Aiden went on their team i don't i don't agree with that one that was strange i'm just glad we get one more year with him yeah yeah well i mean he'll he, at the beginning of the year i think i saw aiden white was a projected first round draft grade Unless he goes pro. Okay, yeah. yeah. You guys think he's coming back? No, no, no. I I was just speaking hopefully. Oh, okay. I was like, because I was, I mean, I know he has a year of eligibility, but I was like basically operating as if yeah. he already left. Yeah, I mean, you were walked on senior night. So one thing I wanted to point out before I get to my, my question about eSports, uh, one thing I wanted to point out, I, I, I was told they did show it network broadcast, um, but I was in the stadium and saw this happen. Uh, I was one of the last people to leave the stadium, but, um, you know, after the game, obviously, you know, they do the high fives of the student section and Peyton Wilson walked down the tunnel and then came back out, came back out of the tunnel, walked back over to the student section and, and basically got a curtain call from the Wolfpack fans and from Wolfpack nation. And I know we've talked a lot about Peyton Wilson this year, how he's gone down as probably one of the most beloved NC state football players of all time. Um, but you don't see a player get a curtain call like that very often. So, so what kind of impact do you think he's going to have left? Uh, we look maybe three to five years down the road. What impact he's going to have left on this program? I, it has to be lasting, and it's one of those things that is a hallmark of the Dave Doran program. That every time one of these guys comes through, we keep thinking, Oh, he's one of one, and this program will never see somebody like that. Somebody like Bradley Chubb comes through, and we're never going to see somebody like Bradley Chubb's lava comes through. And then Iki Aquanu comes through, and and we're like, okay, that guy, you know, never going to see another one like that. And then now it's like Peyton Wilson, so it's it's a testament to the coaching staff to be able to find these guys. And I, the one lasting impact, I, I just hope that it has on showing current players that are returning and future players that this is this is what Wolfpack football is and and this is what it's all about because he set the tone on both sides of the ball and they talked about this during the broadcast that it's not often that a defensive player commands the re- the respect universally in the locker room of setting the tone for how both sides of the ball are going to going to play usually you'll have somebody on the offense to to really be that vocal leader you know um but speaking of curtain calls, um, Casey did also come back out, is, is what I saw. Okay. So okay. He, he came out yeah. and he stayed for a long time, uh, signing autographs and taking selfies with people. So uh, the, the two of them were, were back out there. And, and by the way, in case those of you are listening that did not hear, Casey Concepcion is coming back next year. He signed with Savage Wolves for 2024. So we got nothing to worry about losing him on the on the transfer portal front. But 
Uh, Joel, Alec, your thoughts on uh, your lens on Peyton Wilson maybe a couple years down the road? Well, I think um, he is a um, materialization of the football culture at NC State that becomes something that has recruiting value to people. I think that, you know, like we talked about, you know, culture is something that is so immaterial. It's so it's it's hard to really to really grasp to really understand right it's it's something that you you learn as you go through the program but when you see someone like that that has that level of impact uh, and and is so clearly a product of a culture it has big recruiting implications for people that you know are looking for that type of thing uh, you know are looking at how a program is how a program will treat them what a program will do for them you know when they're making those decisions and the fact that he had all that to say after flipping from UNC and then had all the extra stuff to say about UNC because uh, obviously that's the biggest recruiting hurdle every year uh, is going head to head with those guys. Um, so I, I look at it as, as you know, something that really has an opportunity to push some talent this way just because of, you know, it's, it's the culture is so visible through him. I mean, I think Peyton Wilson loves NC state. I mean, he does. And I think that's going to help. You can use that and you can get, you can, you can show other recruits, you know, we've got it. We had Peyton Wilson in this. And I think that's going to help with recruiting. I'm like, I agree with you, Alec. I think that's going to help them. Uh, it's going to help to show other, other recruits what, what they can have at NC state, what they can do. Uh, we, you know, during his whole era, he's had people that, that, you know, like Bradley Chubb and, and Naheem Hines and people like that, you know? And so, you know, developing players, you know, NC State does a good job of that. I mean, and I think that can be sold, but Peyton Wilson is a special, he's a, he's just a special kind of football player. And I think that's going to help even more. He he is the ultimate, like, lock it in cement case for the guys that come back for one more year, because he felt like he needed to come back and put like a full healthy year on tape to really help his draft stock. And I, I can't think of any other example from any anywhere else, you know, in football where somebody has decided to come back for the last year of eligibility and improve their stock. I mean, I'm sure there's like other examples where people have done that, but just off the top of my head, can't think think of anything. There's obviously people that have come back and had eligibility left and decided to, you know, have one big year and then left for the left for the league. You know, like somebody like maybe Joe Burrow. I can't remember if that was his last year, uh, but. Year, at least of el- at least in college. I don't know if it was last year of eligibility. Yeah, but but I was gonna say because we have to make sure we get a Sam Hartman reference in every episode. <laughs> but Sam Hartman was the opposite for Peyton Wilson. He came back and did not improve his draft stock this year, my opinion. But <laughs> yeah, the thing with Peyton is like, well, so the draft thing with him is is obviously his health, right? He's had so many mm-hmm. injury problems. That's something. And, he, you know, he's, he's played a lot of college football now, and so you get those extra years also. They're going to look at all that all that stuff. But I think it will help when he runs a 3-6, 40-yard dash at the at the combine. <laughs> uh, that's the thing with Peyton. I mean, he I, he's the perfect player. He is a freak of an athlete. There, that, he was, that dude was made in a lab. You should not be able to move like him at that mm-hmm. size. There's very few guys at any position that can do that. I, I, you know, just like what Joel was saying, his passion for the school, you know, the the two post-game comments that both Doran and Wilson made 
uh, about the boys in blue are just like all time legends. <laughs> that those are gonna go down in the history of NC State football about the culture that that we have here well, versus yeah. what, what they have. And don't forget the Peyton for Heisman comment from Dave also. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I like about Dave is that he hates UNC a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And this is not, so I I think it's important to understand where this comes from because, because some of this is manufactured for sure. And we know that, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's, I think his comments last year were, were particularly manufactured, but it's not coming just completely out of, you know, made up land. He really doesn't like them. And it's not even just a football thing. There's a cultural divide between the two universities. Mm-hmm. And Dave is very much a guy who has always fallen in line with more, the more blue collar NC state culture, which is why he tried to build that into the program as like the tagline. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy who likes to go fishing and listen to country music and drive his truck around. Yeah. And you know, that's, you know, those are, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a cultural fit in so many ways. Um, and so when people say like, you know, he beats UNC, like, like it's, you know, Oh, he hates UNC. Like that, that's just, you know, rivalry stuff. Like, you know, it, it means something to me because it's, it's a, it's an example of how he fits in so well with the culture, because if you're really tied to the culture of NC state, you're just naturally going to hate UNC because, yeah. <laughs> because they think they're better than that culture. They're, yeah. They think they're elite compared to that to that culture. They look down upon it. Yeah, and that's really so, interesting that you say that because if you listen to some of some, not all, but some of the UNC people after the game were saying that exact thing. That that maybe they always say it. It's their tagline. It's always the same nonsense about you know. No, that, that state had a better culture than us than than UNC is what they were saying. Oh yeah, they're realizing that that okay. So this was the point I was trying to make is is. State has a culture that's at this point is succeeding in, in winning football and contributing to wins through the work of building a program, right? Mm-hmm. That's player development. That's things of that nature, right? UNC's culture is much more of a brand that's designed to attract talent and they succeed in doing that, but they suck at everything else. And that's how you end up with what UNC has, which is a bunch of wasted talent. Because their program is built on their on their brand, which is uh, Michael Jordan playing basketball there in the '80s, and <laughs> having fancy shoes and an ugly color, right? And NC State is it doesn't frankly doesn't doesn't have a brand. Right? NC State has never been a strong brand. I think we can all admit that. Uh, but they're building something that they can sell that in the end is much more tangible and much more uh, much more of an input to success than what UNC is ultimately selling to people. Uh, and that's a huge difference, I think, between the two schools right now. Yeah, I, I can't think of any other coach, definitely between basketball and football, um, that has really embodied the culture of the school and taken on sort of an avatar for the fans as much as Doran has. And, and he's really kind of let that sink in and he speaks for the fans in a lot of ways um you know more so than really any other coach and he it really seems like he really truly after spending so much time here he understands like why there's a difference not just that there is a difference but why and 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 has and has really let that be a part of you know what he uses to to motivate his players I want to, I mean, 
And I think of Debbie Yao sitting in a chair somewhere thinking about the 2016 UNC game. Like, thank God he won that game. Yes. <laughs> I, didn't have to, I didn't have to make that decision because clearly she made the right decision. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, I think that's a really, I mean, I, there's so many inputs into this. Like, you think of where Doran came from, right? He was a head coach for two years. He was a defensive coordinator, right? He's not a guy that hasn't had any particularly noteworthy coaching history, you know, leading up to his hire at NC State. Um, you know, but there's something inside inside of inside of his process, inside of his way of doing things that that you know State pursued. You look at who UNC's coaches are, right? It's the Flash, right? It's Mac Brown. Right, who has a crystal ball that he waves around that he won at Texas, and it's Gene Chizik, who also has a national championship. So you have two coaches here that have won national championships, and they're both bums. Who was so the mastermind behind Auburn's national title, though? Well, it was Gus Malzahn. But, that, Malzahn. but like, yeah. my point is, is, is these? It just it's in every element of this rivalry, you see, you know, you see a process at NC State, you see a, a flashing light at UNC, you see what I called, I think in the article noise pollution, right? It's just, it's just, Hey, look at us. We're, we're, you know, we have all this crap and it's like, but they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't have any processes in place to actually leverage what they have to win games. Whereas NC state has built that we have a good program. They have a good brand. We have maybe not the best brand, but they have a bad program and we've won 12 of the last 17 games. So so um, Mac is back, though. Mac is back. <laughs> that, that's been the, the funniest part of, like, seeing people just trying to just grasp at straws after the game. Like, oh, yeah, well, you, you know, still using the, the, the little brother tagline or selling, you know, we, we still own you. And it's lit, like, come on, 12 out of 17 it was like almost two decades worth where, like, you know, you know, it's <laughs> there's nothing there. Yeah, and State has bigger bigger things than beating UNC. So uh, I don't think anybody cares what they have to say anymore. Yeah. Uh, they have bigger things than beating UNC. They're trying to win an ACC championship in the next couple of years. Right. It's a nice little perk to beat yeah. them every year. Yeah. What's the last the- it's felt like the Clemson game has been a bigger game than the UNC game. Right. What's Mac, yeah. what's Mac Brown's biggest win in the last, last few years? Miami in 2020. <laughs> That's it. That's the actual answer. Yeah. But so so you think because of all of that, there's a decent chance that UNC is ranked outside of the top 15 in the next preseason poll, maybe maybe 20th for them. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they weren't ranked in the playoff poll this week. I really was, but uh, that kind of leads into my next question. Unless Joel had a follow up there. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, I think what Alec was talking about is we're we built a program and they're just they're just going on the. Like they 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 have more four star recruits than we do, you know. But in football, that's not as important as it is in basketball because you can take a three star recruit and develop them. They can become one of the best players in the country. Bradley Chubb was a three star recruit. Uh, so I think that what they're trying to rely on is they're just trying to get the the higher recruits in, and they're just like, okay, we got higher recruits, we're going to win football games. But you still have to work. You have to put the work in. You have to do. You have to develop those players. And uh, I think that I don't think they do a good job of that. I think we do a great job. All right, talent acquisition is a component, but it's far from the only component. And you have to do all those things well. Right. There's a lot of teams that do a good job with talent acquisition, and they still can't win. Tennessee was like that forever, and they may be like that again. Um, yeah, you see that. You have to, I agree completely. I mean, it's 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 a program versus a brand. That's how I would how I would frame it. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting 
point there because uh, I was going to lead us to my next question, and it's kind of a kind of a two part question. Uh, but the the first part of the question is is um, you know it's it seems unlikely, but I believe that Dave Doran is deserving of the ACC Coach of the Year because when you look at this team, where this team was five weeks ago, when they were sitting four and three after the Duke game, and we thought that this season was oh maybe they'll win six. And here they are, nine and three, with a chance to win ten games and ranked in the top twenty in the country. I think that is a testament to the coaching job that Dave Doran has done. And so that leads into the second part of my question. So the two questions I have are: Do we think Dave Doran should be ACC Coach of the Year, and is this Dave's best coaching job at NC State? It is definitely his best coaching job. I was thinking about that earlier today. Now, some people say, "Well, you got a different offensive coordinator," but he did all that. He went out and got those people. Uh, he's, it's definitely his best coaching job. Uh, he deserves to be coach of the year, but I don't think he will. I think Jeff Brown will probably get that just probably. because of just because of the dumpster fire that Satterfield left him with, and now mm-hmm. he's leaving a dumpster fire at Cincinnati. But yeah, I think I think Brown will get it, but I think Dave actually does deserve it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Louisville schedule is what it was, but you know, he still won ten games in his first season, and you know, so he he came in. There's a there's been a, a a better full season long story arc with Brom and, and the immediate turnaround that he's made there. So he will win it. But um, you know, you could also make a really really strong case for Mike Norvell. Um, you know, we no one's it's almost like at this point no one's almost like really talking about the fact that two years ago FSU all the fans wanted to throw him, you know, literally over a cliff and they lost the FCS team two years ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, um, they set a record at the time. It was like when Twitter spaces were still a thing that they had thousands of people in, in the Twitter space talking about how much they hated him. And then he ended the season. Well, last year, he has the number one transfer recruiting class coming in out of the portal. And just like he, Took, they took care of business every single week. I mean, so you have to tip your hat to that. Uh, you know, putting a, an ACC team back in the in the playoff after Clemson has taken the downturn. So, um, yeah. I, I, obviously, from our perspective, Dave Dorn would rec- would would be who we would choose. But you could build a case for either Brom or Nobel. Yeah, those are the top three guys, other than Mac Brown, of course, who <laughs> who, who would sweep. Was the coach of the year like six weeks ago? Remember what? that? Remember when Mike Elko was a shoe in to win that award like mm-hmm. six weeks ago? Oh yeah, yeah. things <laughs> change. Um, not not every coach can win games with with third string and backup quarterbacks. So oh, <laughs> oh. Everyone, I guess. Um, yeah, um, it's Dave's best coaching job. Uh, twenty twenty was yeah. pretty darn good. Yeah, too. Uh, the thing about this one was was just how much. They've they consistently redesigned things with this team. You know, when State was bad at the beginning of the year, it was bad at everything offensively. Everything. I mean, it, it, the offensive line was struggling. The team couldn't run the ball. But there's barely even trying. Uh, it was this sort of like spread offense, this sort of air raid style. Uh, it wasn't super creative, and they were trying to lean on Armstrong, and he was just he was just playing poorly. Uh, and the defense for all of the things that did well was getting cooked by all sorts of, of option action and all sorts of play action stuff. And 
is just a completely different football team now, and that's coaching. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think Dave. It was up to me. I would vote for Dave. I think Mike Norvell has a really good case too. Uh, he's a testament to to patience because I think he was on the right track for a while, uh, but you know, Florida State obviously has. Uh, expectations that are somewhere north of like Neptune. So they get a little, a little hurried sometimes with that, but yeah, I mean, Mike Marvel's done a fantastic job. And if he, if he were to win it over Dave, I don't think I would have a problem with that. Uh, I, I wouldn't be too thrilled if Jeff Brom wins coach of the year. I, I feel like that would be something that um, that was a decision that someone made like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, like good, great season for them. If they win the ACC championship, I'll change that opinion. But, they, you know, they just lost to a crappy Kentucky team. They played a relatively easy schedule. Uh, you know, they're not a better team than NC State. They were right. at the beginning of the year, but they're not now. Uh, I would have him third, I think. Uh, so that's kind of how, how I would see it. But I'm expecting Jeff Brom to win. Yeah, so the 2020 season had all that the all the COVID stuff to go along with it and that he had to navigate and switching – quarterbacks around and he still won eight games with Bailey Hockman and that season was more of just sort of band-aiding wins together and like they were just kind of flying by the seat of their pants week to week but to have a full in-season rebuild to I've, I've never in my life seen a team like this uh, especially an NCC team that has taken a bye week and just done you know gone under the hood and like revamped the entire team and Dave talked about it and as post-game press conference saying that he just he went to the coaches and he just was flat out talking about remove anything that's not working get the people who are who are producing get them the ball and basically saying like okay casey needs to see the ball and find the things that we're not doing right and get better at them and he'd like that's a testament to you know his leadership and just refocused everybody and to just go on a tear for the last five weeks they have played good competition and summarily been the best team on the field week to week. Yeah, it's not too dissimilar to what has happened with Alabama's offense because of how much they were struggling earlier in the year. If you watched mm-hmm. them play, they were, they were terrible. And now Tommy Reese is like, is, is he like a, he's like a Burroughs Award finalist, I believe. Um, I'll check on that and see if that's right. But yeah, I mean, that's, it, you know, you see the accolades for that just because of how successful or how impressive that turnaround has been for them. And the state one's very similar to that. So that's kind of the marker for me is like, that's, you know, that's one of the, one of the best coaching jobs of the season anywhere in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we are going to talk about basketball here as well. We're running a little bit close on time. So I'll just make this quick here. Um, Obviously basketball took one on the chin against Ole Miss after everybody and their puppy's grandma's cement mixer got ejected against (laughs) Uh, so is it time real quick, just real quick before we get to our question of the day, uh, are, are we panicking about men's basketball yet? I'm not panicking, but I'm definitely not very encouraged anymore. I mean, it was a bad loss. It was a really bad loss to Ole Miss. That's not really going to help us at all. And, uh, I mean, it's just, they just, they, not only did they get beat, they got just annihilated. I mean, it was just, it was, it was painful to watch. It was terrible. And I don't know, you know, that's that seems to be something that's happened. Seems to be like something that happens in the in the Kevin Keats era over and over again. Losing to teams they shouldn't lose to, and not only did they just lose, sometimes they just get beat really, really bad when they should have 
been even, you know, they should have even won or been more competitive. Remember the Virginia Tech game a couple years ago? What were they scored 25 points or something in the whole game? 24. I mean, <laughs> 24. Okay, so that was, but it's just, it's like a broken record of a song nobody ever wanted to hear in the first place. I mean, it's just, it just keeps happening. And I don't, you know, I just, I don't see, unless he turns this around and gets something going, I don't, I don't see him getting past this year if, if it's going to be this way. I mean, I thought we could be a top tier team, but I, I don't know anymore. Yeah, I I do not think it's time to panic, but this is a flawed basketball team, and I think we should have known that already because because DJ Burns is one of the largest defensive liabilities, figuratively and literally, <laughs> um, <laughs> in the country. Uh, he. And we knew that. We knew that that's how this team, if you're going to play through DJ Burns and have him play 30 minutes a game, you're going to have these problems. And Ole Miss absolutely exploited the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, And it, it, honestly, they end, only ended up scoring 72 points in the game. Part of that's pace. Uh, you know, It's still a winnable number defensively for State. Uh, but the offense was obviously just a complete disaster. So they don't have – they have issues at guard. Uh, they don't have the the full, you know, pick and roll offense creators that they had last year. Um, if I could take DJ Horn and uh, Jaden Taylor and combine them into one player, <laughs> you'd have something real special there. But Horn just doesn't seem to be interested in attacking the basket. He's a little small. Um, you know, that's I don't know that that's really his game. And then Taylor to me is, isn't quite as as explosive or as good of a shooter, you know, off the dribble as you would want him to be. And those are going to be the main guys, I think, uh, that you're going to ask to handle the basketball going forward. And that's why they're trying to play through Burns so much, I think, is because they know that's where they're, you know, where you can run offense the best, uh, you know, with his passing ability and, and, you know, spacing around him and letting him operate. Uh, But, you know, he he was really bad uh, on both sides of the ball against Ole Miss. And I think you're going to see because of those, you know, the, the, the lack of you know explosiveness with the guards. What you're going to see with Burns is, you know, if he has a bad game, State's going to lose. And he had a bad game, and they got absolutely crushed. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's a pretty flawed basketball team. They have some serious things to fix, and I actually think you might see more zone from State this year, just because of how much DJ Burns cannot match up. Um, so you know it might you know it's up to Keats. You know he's going to you have to redesign some things now. You have to change what you're doing. Uh, you have some data points now that you can make those decisions with. So uh, part of the problem was they were just a mess. And so that's something that you can fix pretty easily. So, you know, they're not as bad as they played. But, yeah, uh, not panicking yet. But if they lose to Boston College, I will be. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I, you know, I'm not hitting the panic button just yet, but my hand is hovering over the button, you know, to see <laughs> how they're going to do against Boston College. And, you know, it's that's definitely a game that they should win. But um, a lot there's a lot of tricky teams in the conference this year. Uh, so it's, you know, they're right. They have the same record right now as Boston College. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. It It's one of the things that we have seen a tired narrative about, Kevin Keats being, you know, having the experience at Hargrave of putting together new rosters every year. So he knows how to do that. And I think that year after year, fielding a, a brand new team kind of wears thin after a while. And it show, it's starting to show that you shouldn't have to be starting from square one and doing full rebuilds because the, the core of the team 
is learning how to play together and learning the system on the fly during the season. And uh, yeah. it's it's not really uh, something that is planned for long-term success. Um, so the, the biggest uh, depressing point is that these were potentially Q1 or Q2 opportunities with BYU and Ole Miss that are lost now. And the only one remaining non-conference Q1 chance is going to be against a, a top 10 team in Tennessee. Uh, that's coming to PNC in a couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe, maybe not. They'll, they'll be able to put something together for that game, but then they're, then they, they're just going to have to have their work cut out for them in conference play. I think it's interesting that you point that out because I was going to say that while men's basketball certainly is struggling a little bit right now, the women most certainly are not. I don't think I've ever seen a team go on such a meteoric rise from unranked to the top five as fast <laughs> as Wes Moore's team has done. So really impressive uh, what what he has done there, and we're looking forward to watching uh, the women's basketball team the rest of the season out there at Reynolds. They got a big win over Vanderbilt in the ACC SEC Challenge earlier this week. We got to get to our random question of the day, uh, and it's one that's a little bit related, but one that's also not. And the random question of the day for this week is, if you can change one rule in any sport, what rule would you change, and what would that rule be? You mean how would you change it? How would you change it? Yeah. <laughs> Ad libbing sometimes doesn't work. <laughs> uh, you know, I wrote this question and, and then I, I <laughs> answer. All right, I would take the double bonus back out of college basketball. Take it out. Uh, okay. I would take it back out. I would just go back to the one and one after seven fouls. I think that I think that prevents teams. You know, we won a national championship by fouling, you know. I think – and if you give somebody two shots, you know, if, if you give just give them one they miss that, you got an opportunity to go down and score some points. I would take that back out of college basketball, go back to just a, just a one and one after seven fouls. That's what i do. That's – I haven't heard that one before. I kind of like that. Though. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, You know, as much as I've liked the pace of – Knowing that a three-hour window a college football game is going to start and finish, like how watching an NFL game, um, it really seemed like it took a, a lot out of scoring and offenses for some of the um, the fun out of watching college football. So I, I really like that the clock stopped after first downs. So, you know, I, uh, I'm more of a purist that way, and I, I think I probably want to go back to that. I think I would make it against NCAA rules to funnel athletes through no-show independent study courses to keep them academically <laughs> eligible instead of having that be perfectly legal and fine. <laughs> um, my answer is uh, a college basketball rule, actually a couple of them, that I think have just ruined the game entirely. Uh, it's just, just too many stoppages at the end of the games. I think the most exciting part of a close college basketball game is the eight minutes to go till the three minutes to go window. And that's a huge problem. Uh, if you've ever seen the end of a close college basketball game with no stoppages, it's incredibly entertaining. I think we need to create more of that. So you get one timeout per half and you use it in that half and you don't get another one. 
we don't need to have six timeouts left in a game with a minute to go. You get one timeout per half. You get one timeout total in hockey. It works fine for that, and we should be able to do that in basketball. There are no clock reviews. Can you give yeah. the 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 clock operator the autonomy to fix the clock on his own or her own, and you make those decisions during the ball stoppages? There are no clock reviews, and we need to speed along the end of this game. Uh, so, you know, that's the big thing for me that's made college basketball just – I mean that and the officiating, and there's not really a fix for the officiating, I don't think. But uh, the 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 stoppages at the end of the game just ruin the end of the game, and half of them are unnecessary anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know you just don't need them, and it's it's a much more entertaining product without them. And I think you need to create that. I think it's hurting the sport. So uh, that would be mine, especially the timeouts. Yeah. I tell me like, let's call a timeout. I'm like, no, stop doing that. Don't do that. Bad coach. <laughs> I have a couple, so I'll say them both, even though we're only allowed to say one, so I break my own rule. But um, for college football, I would go back to the original overtime that we had. I hate this two-point conversion. Oh, yeah. Con- yes. yes. I would absolutely, absolutely yeah. go back to, um, to as many overtimes as possible, but I would also change it to where you're starting on the 30 instead of the 25. I think you need to be five yards further back. So um, I think starting on the 30 and playing until there's a winner without a two-point conversion contest, I'm okay with that. And then my other one is in the NHL. I would it – it's also changing overtime rules. I don't think – as much as the three-on-three overtime in the NHL is fun, I think it should be five-on-five, and I don't think we should have shootouts. I want to see there just continue to play and continue oh, to – you kill the players, though. Play. <laughs> That's so much – no, I know, but but to me, the shootout in the NHL is incredibly boring. And I would love to see them, you know, extend it. You know, it'll only be five-minute overtimes instead of 20 in the regular season. But I'd still love to see them get rid of the shootout and just have extra overtime sessions until they get a winner. That's that's a rare take because most people really enjoy enjoy the, the tension of the shootout. You know, I think the shootout's incredibly boring. <laughs> I feel like it's just a, it's just a bailout because you can't play that much hockey. I feel like you 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 know how many how many three four overtime games would you have per team per year? Don't remind you... Carolina Hurricanes fans about four overtime games, <laughs> right? You know, I remember that. Yeah, that game went till like three thirty in the morning. I think. Yeah, um, yeah and I stayed I up. One of the <laughs> one of the broadcasters was dropping like f bombs during the. <laughs> intermission and then it was like i guess like the fcc went to sleep or something i don't know um, <laughs> that was crazy yeah but th- that yeah no i i really like the overtime idea though that mm-hmm. uh, obviously going back to the original is something i think everyone agrees with and they, the 30 they, yard line. they changed that from one game really like one seven overtime game and they were like oh yeah that this can't happen again and you well, know. think about the fact that you know they're talking about how that penn state illinois game is the longest game ever played because it went to nine overtimes that's only because six of them were two conversion contests yeah yeah if you have have a two-point conversion contest with two anemic offenses let me ask you this question if we had nc state and iowa in 2022 (laughs) go to overtime how many overtimes do you think they would have played yes (laughs) they might still be playing (laughs) it's possible yeah the over under the over uh, iowa again set a record the over under on the big 10 championship game is the lowest of one of the lowest of all time and I actually saw one projection that had NC State and Iowa playing in a bowl game, and I'm like, <laughs> a bit like, off. No, yeah, yeah. 
seven games, that would be a three nothing football game. If you look at the state of this of the fi- last five games, I don't know. Somehow I imagine like the over under for Michigan Iowa is like thirty, but Michigan's like a thirty five point favorite. What what is their over under? It was twenty five last week. It, yeah, it's below thirty, I think. I haven't had the chance oh, to double gosh. check. It was it was they set the record for the lowest last week. It was twenty five and the under hit. Yeah. yeah. The Iowa <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. With a, kicker, with a kicker that hadn't kicked a field goal all year, kicking the game <laughs> field goal. So their best player is their punter. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, was... did you see that meme of like Connor Stallions with like his goggles or whatever, and he was looking at Iowa's playbook <laughs> yeah. and it was just punt? Just punt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, certainly have a lot. They won to the game about- though. But we'll we'll have to get to uh, some of that next week, and we'll talk about uh, more NC State basketball. And we should know by this time next week NC State's bowl opponent as well. So we can talk a little bit about that, maybe preview that. Uh, fingers crossed that it's the Orange Bowl, but uh, it will be in Florida likely one way or the other this year for NC State football. So uh, I know those those airlines that fly RDU to Florida are really excited about that. They're going to get a lot of traffic down there. But uh <laughs> We'll uh, we'll talk about that next week. Joel, Assad, Alec, thanks so much. Go Pack. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank. Oh. Oh well.